Hello and welcome to Astrology and Stuff, the podcast where we try to talk about serious subjects without taking ourselves too seriously. I'm your host and sacred clown, Sampriti. Thank you for being here. All right, friends. Patient, patient, patient friends. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for hanging in there. I am here today with the final, I promise, final installment to my own natal chart, that dive into the natal chart that um, we've been doing over the last couple of weeks. Um, Thank you for your patience as I was juggling some pretty major transitions in my life over the last two weeks. And, um, And we're here today. So if you haven't yet checked out the Patreon, um, please go do so. We've got some incredible weekly transit talks, as we call them, um, covering the astrology of the week. And this week in particular, if you're listening to this, the week that I um, have recorded this, 5th of June, um, 2023, uh, we are talking about two major things. One, Venus moving into Leo, and two... Uh, Pluto moving back into Capricorn for its final, final, final uh, dig through these final degrees of Capricorn before emerging once again and finally to stay uh, into Aquarius next January. So if you are interested in um, embody that's just that extra layer of invitation to embody your astrology with the, uh, with the rest of us. And like, what the fuck does that even mean? Please go check out the Patreon. Um, and you can also at the same time help support this podcast. Literally it has become my favorite thing to do every single week. And I just have to pinch myself to know that there is a community out there who is, um, helping me do this. I love that. I love all of you. So, Let's dive. Oh, second thing. Um, I, my books are absolutely open for June. Um, so if you are hankering after a natal chart reading or a synastry reading, you're, you know, looking at your natal charts with a partner's, whether it's business or otherwise, or a child's chart, um, go look up those offerings. I also offer um, astrocartography that is um, looking at your chart in relationship to the quote unquote natal or astrological chart of the earth and how she expresses that because she does. It's so amazing. Um, and then finally, I have a an introduction, as it were, to your human design uh, offering as well. So now without further ado... Let's dive in. Okay. So we left off the last episode that dives into my own natal chart. We really focused on the sun and the moon and the rising sign. 
Okay. So if you haven't listened to the first two episodes of this mini series, I would totally advise you to go back and listen to the first episode covers um, Pluto and the nodes and kind of an explanation of this whole exercise as well. Um, And then that second episode covers the sun and the moon and the rising. And what better way to dive into... um, to how we hash out and extrapolate useful information from our charts than me doing my own chart, which is the first chart that I had experience with and continue to have experience with. And I fully recommend you doing the same for your own chart first before you curiously tackle anybody else's with any seriousness because this is, we're not just here to know astrology. We're here to embody our astrology, not because it's right or wrong or it's better or worse than simply quote unquote, just knowing it. It's just knowing astrology with our brains is only part of the picture. It's only part of the story and experiencing the astrology. Um, it's an embodying the astrology it brings all of those other chapters of the story to the forefront so that we just have all the tools that we need. And it's just a lot easier and a lot quicker, really, to this Aries sun and a lot more enjoyable. So, okay, so we are going to, after covering within the natal chart, after covering the sun, moon, and rising, we then go to, we work our way through the personal planets, um, moving into traditionally moving into the outer planets with the exception of Pluto, because we began our journey with Pluto. Um, and again, I'm describing and utilizing a tech, a natal chart reading and interpretation technique that I was taught by through the, the, the lineage of evolutionary astrology. So you, you can't throw a stick at an astrologer without getting a different nuanced um, way of interpreting these. This is just mine. Um, so we actually mercifully had the pleasure of moving through quite a few of the personal and some outer planets um, in the previous episodes. So I'm not going to be covering absolutely all of them. Um, here, because we already did so. So we begin with Mercury, the planet that's closest to the sun. And my, you want to, again, look at where is, where's the Mercury? Where, uh, what house is it, is Mercury in? What sign is Mercury in? And, um, and then we look at what, uh, what degree mark and what relationship does this Mercury have with other planetary bodies or points in the chart? And so my Mercury is 17 degrees Pisces. It's not retrograde. She's direct. Uh, 17 degrees Pisces in my ninth house, two degrees away from my midheaven. So my midheaven point um, is 19 degrees Pisces. My uh, Mercury is just inside the ninth house at 17 degrees Pisces direct. So the placement of of Mercury and the presence of Mercury in our natal charts are going to describe how we formulate our experience through information. Information coming in, information being processed within, and then information being communicated out, okay? And so being in the sign of Pisces, 
this function and this structure of mine is inherently Piscean, i.e. there is not a lot of structure <laughs> there, as you can tell. There's not, a, there's not a, um, a leaning on structure. Like structure isn't, and linearity, is that even a word? Linearness, structure and linearness are not the superpowers of Pisces. Structure and linearness and perhaps logic are some of the superpowers of Mercury. So there's a school, a huge school of thought, and not just a, a school of thought, but a whole function of astrology that describes every planet's exaltation, fall, uh, domicile, et cetera, et cetera, um, i.e. like where that planet of embodiment, that, that point of embodiment is most comfortable, is most feeling themselves, like which sign that is. And there's just naturally, um, according to natural law, you know, Venus is especially in, in her glory or at home rather, um, domicile in the signs of Taurus and Libra. And she's really kind of in her glory in, uh, in Pisces. She's exalted in Pisces, meaning um, Venus isn't just at home in Pisces. She's not at home in, in Pisces in the same way that she's at home in um, Taurus and Libra. She gets to fully ex- be exalted in Pisces. Like she gets to not just be, she gets to quote unquote grow, or I don't know, it's that difference. It's that very subjective quality of feeling at home is different from feeling exalted. Okay. So Mercury is at home and these are all called essential dignities, planetary essential dignities, by the way. Um, Mercury's most at home in its, you know, rules, Gemini and co-rules Virgo. Okay. Um, the, the Mercury in Pisces is what we would call Mercury in their detriment. Okay. Uh, and this simply means that Mercury is not, and also, excuse me, um, of course, this is a twofer. Mercury is not only in their detriment in Pisces, but also in their fall in Pisces. So this just means, long story short, this just means that Mercury's strengths aren't at the forefront in this sign, in this vibe. And people with um, planets in their natal chart that are in the detriment or the fall, it is not a, it's not a failure it is not a just a, a, a an automatic pass to suck at something or to have a lot of challenge. Um, it is. I have. I actually have quite a few um, planets who are in their detriment or their fall. And I, for my experience and speaking as my as myself, not just as an astrologer, but as myself, having planets in detriment and fall is kind of akin to having a bunch of squares in your chart in that we're just meant to find the more creative way, right? Things aren't 
set up like the way they are in with trines in that it's just easy peasy. I really don't have to think about this. I don't really have to use utilize any muscle or additional creativity in order to have an expression of this planet inside of this archetype. No, it's like uh, we're different. We're meant to be different. We're we're meant to add to that, um, you know, that non-homogeny. And so I honestly have never experienced my Mercury um, as in, in Pisces as a negative. I've actually always experienced it as a positive. I am happy that I have Mercury in Pisces. I don't know if the people that I try to communicate are as happy or as comfortable <laughs> having to receive communicate gobbledygook sometimes um, receive communication from me. But I certainly am having a good time with it. That's not true for all of my my planets in detriment, by the way, uh, or fall, by the way. But having that Mercury in Pisces definitely. The best way to for me to describe it is I experience spirit when I communicate, whether it is taking in information, processing information, or speaking out information that I've already processed. It feels like a spiritual experience to me. Um, and this is double downed on, I don't think that's a word either. This is this double downs in that Mercury is also in my ninth house. And so this house, you know, go back and listen to the Sagittarius episode um, of the podcast because Sagittarius rules the ninth house naturally. The ninth house is where we find our truth, where we formulate truth from information. So even though Mercury in is not super, not at its full muscular potential, we could say natural potential in Pisces, Mercury is definitely happy um, in, not unhappy in Sagittarius um, because, hold on just a second, because Merc- and to, some, to some folks, Mercury is in detriment in Sagittarius because, and I get that, um, Sagittarius is the opposite, you know, the polarity partner to Mercury. And I understand that that's kind of what detriment means, but I don't like the word detriment because I don't feel like it's a detriment. I feel like Mercury and Sag is, is like, sorry, Mercury in is exalted in Virgo because Mercury gets to not just do its quote unquote job that it's best at, but it gets to kind of expand on those proclivities and those gifts. I don't see Mercury as diminished in Sagittarius. In fact, this like oppositional feel that I get is like it's just a continuation of the story. It's a continuation of the evolution. Mercury is all about that info, all about that data. And the ninth house is all about that. Yes, but what does it mean? How do we make it mean something? How do we you know, how do, where can we go in the world in our experience to, to have an experience of this information that enables us to transmute it into wisdom? Okay. So this sense or this experience, this uh, mechanism of information gathering and processing and communicating mercury is in this very elevated and 
um, an out there part of my chart. It's my Mercury has a, a huge... Uh, impact on my worldview in ways that it wouldn't have if it wasn't in my ninth chart. And especially since it's nearly conjunct my midheaven, this part, like how I think and the information that I expose myself to and how I communicate, it's very public. It's very experienced by my, I, and I have to experience and embody this part of my chart, i.e. Mercury, in a public way, i.e. around my midheaven. Hence, I've got a fucking podcast, right? Because being able to communicate through this podcast, or I just made a joke about this on uh, Instagram, you know, verbally communicate and process through with my friends via either Marco Polo or my voice message function. It's very comfortable and it, it's not just comfortable for me. It's like I need this. There's a part of me that needs to experience communication via as many people as possible. I've always been very comfortable with public speaking, like preternaturally comfortable with public speaking. Um, I was, you know, kind of a dive back into the, the old trauma vaults. Um, I had to testify in a court of law Um, in front of a, you know, everybody and that courthouse was full or that courtroom was full. Um, I was five years old and I had to testify about my own experience of abuse and who, you know, who my, who the, the perpetrator was and identify that perpetrator, i.e. my father at the time in a public courtroom. Okay. This was the eighties. It was absolutely fucking nuts. It was the middle of the satanic panic. Uh, I cannot wait to either write a book or develop another podcast about this experience in my life. It's just, it's incredible. Um, but I was, I, I was, I was fine with it. Like it didn't, it was exhausting. Um, but like they told me what to do and I said what I needed to say and it was extremely clear and it was, it was what it needed to be. And the judge was like, I've never had a a child witness be so clear and logical and concise and like make, be such a good witness verbally. That was me living out my, my Mercury conjunct midheaven way out there in the public. Um, I did, public speaking and acting all throughout school and um, my early 20s and speech writing. And it's just, and I'm saying all of that because it just fucking feels good. It feels so yummy. It feels so good to talk out loud and to be in, I, I feel like I'm in relationship with a huge part of myself and I get to have relationship with as many people as I possibly can. And that feels so good through the Mercury. Okay. Um, second is, oh, wait, uh, Mercury relationships. Um, it's really just that uh, two degrees away from my midheaven, conjunct my midheaven. I do have a, a loose-ish trine, water trine uh, with the nodes, excuse me, trine and sextile with the nodes. So Mercury, 17 degrees, um, Pisces, 
loosely trines 19 degrees cancer north node in the first house and loosely trans, uh, excuse me, sextiles Capricorn south node, 19 degrees Capricorn south node in the seventh house. So that means my midheaven is an exact trine and, um, and sextile to my nodes. Um, and we don't have time for that today, but it's a, it's a really fun aspect. I, I really like it. Um, and so next is Venus. So my Venus is 17 degrees. Here's another 17 uh, degrees Aquarius. Okay. And Venus is our experience as we, as we all know, um, go back and listen to the Taurus and the Libra episodes. Uh, Venus is our embodied experience of um, our how we relate internally and externally through our senses. Okay. It's being in relationship. It's the body. First, we have to be in relationship with the body to even figure out what relationship is. (laughs) And we have that. So like Venus and Taurus, Venus expressing herself through Taurus. That's the somatic experience, the internal experience. And Libra, Venus and Libra, Libra is that first, it governs the seventh house. It's that first sign in the um, in the, the transpersonal, the objective evolution, that top half of the chart, uh, it's where we, Venus ushers us into the, an experience of relationship with something outside of ourselves. Cause until that point, we've just been in relationship with us. Okay. Learning how to be in relationship. And so this is the, the planetary embodiment as it shows up in our natal chart. This is that mechanism. Okay. And so a, a Venus in Aquarius, here's another one. Let me just check my list. Um, here's another one, not in detriment. Wait a minute. Sorry. I thought, here we go. We're just learning everything. I think I mixed up my tarot and my essential dignity list. I thought that Venus was either in detriment No, I'm sorry. I thought Venus was in fall in Aquarius, but Venus is in fall in Virgo. Um, because I, I work with the Thoth deck of, um, the Thoth tarot deck. It's really the only deck that talks to me. And, um, and Venus in Aquarius is, it's a swords, um, because Aquarius is an air sign. It's a swords. And I think it's seven of swords and it's futility, it's like, why, why even, why even? <laughs> but uh, apparently that is not the case. Either way, Venus and Aquarius can get a bad rap for being a cold motherfucker, an, an ice queen, a snow queen. And I don't experience it that way. <laughs> I can see how people with different you know, Venus placements and different, I, you know, we could call them love languages or, you know, somatic experience or somatic languages, those kinds of things. Um, I can see how they would, you know, label an Aquarian flavor to the, to the Venus principle, um, cold in comparison, but honestly, it's just objective. And there's something about Aquarius, Venus and Aquarius. I fucking love everybody everybody. And there's that, that hilarious, um, trope 
Aquarian trope of Aquarius loves uh, Aquarius loves humanity. It's people they hate. And I can, the more, you know, I went through a Saturn conjunct my Venus experience post Capricorn, uh, Venus retrograding Capricorn early um, 2022. So fucking just so hard, so hard. Um, And coming out of that as Saturn, the great teacher moved over my Venus um, and, and, and just kind of required maturity. It's like, okay, you're going to fucking grow out of this now. You're going to do it now. And you just can't, you can't do anything but submit. Um, and I could see that, you know, with me kind of working with some shadowy aspects of my own embodied Venus, I can definitely see how I relationally can definitely take my nearest and dearest for granted or just like let go. It's very, very easy to let go. I think in my own personal uh, astrological ecology, my cancer placements and my Pisces placements and yeah, even my Aries sun, um, it balances that out a lot because as much as my Venus and Aquarius is like, go do you, you know, come back when, when you want, but go do you. Absolutely. I am not here to stand in your way. That kind of thing. Um, far be it for me for standing in your way of you living your best life. Um, the cancer rising and North node and the, the, um, the Pisces moon and the Aries sun are all like, Oh no, 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 no. You know, let's, I need this connection. This connection is incredibly important for me. So that being said, like that ecology, um, there's definitely a mixture of experience as far. And it, it all really with, with Aquarius being, you know, the Venus archetype is, um, is it's very both. And, you know, it's like, yeah, I see all of the picture here. And I know, I capital K know what's going on. And vulnerab- this kind of makes it harder for my cancer rising and my cancer north node to engage in vulnerability sometimes because of the shadowy aspect of my Venus, which is and the most prominent trans- or aspect that my Venus has to anything else in my chart is a nearly... Um, I think it's 19. Yeah, a nearly direct square with my Chiron. Chiron is 19 degrees Taurus in my 11th house and Venus is 17 degrees Aquarius in my 8th house. So the fact that Venus is in my 8th house, it's just it's she's so concerned with or she she's happy playing in the deep 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 depths, right? Um my any embodiment and expression of my Venus is automatically going to have a scorpionic tinge to it. Um, and the fact that it is directly square, nearly directly square, my Chiron means that, you know, since this eighth house is the house of, we could s- simplify it into sex and death. Um, and Chiron is this planetary body of, of uh, the, the, 
the wound space and the healing story, fuck yeah, of course there's sexual abuse there. You know, there is, there is an, I should say it this way, and I'm sorry about my, um, my perceived callousness with this or my um, kind of flighty language and attitude about that. I am coming to this personal story from a place of, of objectivity and for the teaching, the purposes of teaching. So it's going to be very academic um, with this expression today. And there's nothing more academic uh, in many ways than Aquarius. So this square of Chiron in Taurus, excuse me, this placement of Chiron in Taurus in the 11th house can be oversimplified and described as a, a consistent wound that points to a consistent wound of of lack of self-worth and of, of blocks to embodiment and blocks um, things to move through, things to heal, opportunities to heal things in order to become embodied um, and literally feel safe in my body and literally feel um, like I can be at home, like I have a home here. Um, that's Chiron and Taurus in the 11th house. This impacts my impacts and is impacted by my experience of community and feeling like I'm a part of the community and the wound can be feeling isolated from the community because of here we go gals and guys and everybody else. Um, shame, guilt, blame, really like shame. And so that force has a direct square, um, nearly direct square relationship with this planetary embodiment of somatic experiencing and sensuality in the house of sexuality and death. Okay. And among so many other things, but for the purposes of my own interpretation and this particular story and how it, this particular expression comes out, this is where this comes from. Um, that that is a that is a a thread of expression that can choose to remember expression can choose to express itself very densely or not very densely and everywhere in between so i i would interpret this this particular experience uh, excuse me, this particular relationship in my, um, in my chart and how it was experienced as a very dense one. Um, you know, multiple childhood traumas based in sexuality and psychology, you know, really, and emotional, obviously. It's all connected, you know, but specifically sexuality, uh, my own sexuality, is there's one of continued, that square of continued, like, uh, Venus and Chiron just kind of bumping up, bumping shoulders at at like a party or something, or like just running into each other for the with the goal being for the function of keeping each other awake and keeping each other in relationship. My Venus will always be in relationship with my healing story, uh, and in an, in a way that is that invites 
really, really big change and really, really big evolution um, that is almost never purely comfortable. <laughs> Even if, um, gosh, I so I had like back in early August, um, Mars and Uranus, and I think in the North Node, were all on top of my Chiron. So it's not only were these things on top of my Chiron, they were squaring my Venus, right? That's what that meant. And so I had this experience of again and again, or I could see, I could look into that future transit at the time and be like, oh, this, I'm just going to, it's going to feel like a lot probably. And I, like I start, I found it at the beginning of the year last year. And it's like, okay, it's just going to feel like a lot. Now, thankfully, context being what it is and comparison being what it is, I had just been through Saturn um, running over my Venus, backing up over my Venus, and then running over my Venus a third time. So this particular summertime experience, it did, it was nothing compared to what it was at the beginning of the year with Saturn. But it was still, like if I hadn't had that comparison, it pro- I probably really would have felt it. And I kind of would have been like, what the fuck is wrong here? What's, what's wrong with me? Hello, Chiron and Taurus, especially squaring off your Venus. What's wrong with me? If something is amiss or if something is uncomfortable, like that's the first thing of like, what did I do to make this happen? And, you know, non-coincidentally, that's like symptom number one or burden number one that survivors of child abuse deal with um, is like anything that goes on unfavorably in and around your life. You're like, oh, I must have done something to do this. I must have done something we could go. I must have done something to deserve this or to merit this misfortune. Um, but even less sentimentally, I must have done something to cause this. Or I mu- even worse, I must have not done something to prevent causing this. I'm, I, I neglected something. I'm, I'm a, uh, yada, yada, yada. I'm a bad person. So um, the, you know, Venus... Um, and so the, obviously I'm covering Chiron here as well because Chiron is, oh my gosh, Chiron is the, I describe it as the mechanism of, of our wounds speaking to us, right? Getting triggered is the voice of our wounds so that we can pay attention to them so that when we because when paying when we pay attention to our wounds in in a manner that is ensconced in unconditional self-love and unconditional self-acceptance we are able to transmute those wounds those wounds are then they're being paid attention to they're getting the care that that's all that they want is care and attention and unconditional love and unconditional acceptance. And so that's that's fucking shadow work, man. And that gets transmuted into and suddenly we're living in greater and greater integrity. So check out where Chiron is in your chart. What sign is it in? I I already went over Chiron and Taurus um is is vastly uh, expressive via um, self-worth issues and shame and um, like body shame. A lot of body shame 
in for those of us who have um, Chiron in in Taurus, and um, and it's going to this is going to be the part of your chart that where you receive the healing, right? Where you receive the relief. It's just, it's, it fucking sucks in the beginning part because first you have to look at it and nobody wants to look at it. But I think that's really changing for like the collective. I I think the last three to five years have been, excuse me, three to six years have been incredibly influential in giving us greater and greater capacity for holding uh, space for our wounds and for um, instead of trying to fix ourselves, just looking at ourselves, just experience ourselves with what if we had nothing to fix? That's my favorite seemingly paradoxical uh, homework uh, thought mantra for uh, working with my own Chiron and what I share with my clients is what if there's nothing wrong with you? What if there's nothing to fix? What if there was nothing to heal, right? Like this, this, this cultural thing of going after our shadow, like, like it's not going to come find us every fucking day of our lives. I don't think, and I used to be in the, the, I used to be used to meaning like literally last year, um, I used to be in that party of like, I'm, I have my shadow journal. I have the book. I have the teacher who is, who specializes in shadow work. Fantastic. If that absolutely, you know, if that is what you need in the moment, don't, don't let my words slow you down or stop you. Okay. We, we all have to go after what we need and at the time. Right. And then I went through a Saturn transit transiting my Venus and squaring off my Chiron. And it's like, oh, I don't need to go after shadow. Shadow will find me. And that's like the whole fucking point, right? Of being embodied is, is acknowledging or being in a space where we are, when we are embodied, we are in relationship, in right relationship with every single part of ourselves, including our shadow. So I think we had to go through, you know, the last three to five years you know, buying all the books and doing all the homework and doing the, you know, sitting in, in, um, ritual with our shadow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in order to get to the point to see like, Oh, that nothing's going anywhere. Nothing's going anywhere. And the whole point of shadow work, whether it's, uh, excuse me, whether it is intentional and active or more of a receiving type of thing, um, like letting your shadow just being open enough and soft enough and loving enough to yourself that your shadow just kind of finds you in particular instances and you recognize you're clear enough to have, to, to recognize that there's an opportunity for more greater, uh, unconditional self love and unconditional self acceptance in order tr- to transmute this shadow. You're just kind of like, Oh yeah, there you are. Ah. Huh. This is that. This is that thing. This has nothing to do with the person in front of me. My reaction, my trigger has everything to do with this thing over here. So what do I need in this moment? What can I do for myself? And it's absolute, my whole point for this tangent was it's absolutely not a fixing mentality. It is not, I better do this or else. Everything is an invitation with Chiron. 
everything is an invitation with Chiron. And my eighth house Venus squaring my 11th house Chiron could also add everything could, everything that Chiron invites us to could be, could help us um, get really, really, really freaky and kinky with our pain pleasure experience. Because any pain that we experience with Chiron, the other side of that frequency is pleasure. These are the same nerve endings that experience pain and pleasure. And I'm speaking obviously somatic nerve nerve endings, but also emotional, mental, psychological nerve endings. Anything that we derive sensation from, the Chiron obviously is going to introduce that as something painful, but goddamn, what is also within that, that sensation of pain? There is pleasure there. There absolutely is pleasure there. So yeah, my eighth house freaky deaky Venus is going to be like, this is interesting. This is very interesting. Every time I come up against my wound, it's like, hmm, how can I invite more pleasure into this moment, into this experience? Sorry, Bert is just exercising her demons right now. Okay. (laughs) All right, moving on. So normally I would move on to Mars, right? We've covered Mercury, we've covered Venus, which my Venus relates to Chiron. So I kind of put that in there. Um, And then we would move on to the next planet, and that's Mars. But we've We've spent a fair amount of time on my Mars, Mars and Libra, um, at, down in the fourth house. And we, I contexted it in the description of like my, my fourth house as the seat of all of the malefics in, in, in my chart, i.e., Mars and Saturn, and then just over the hump into the fifth house is going to be Pluto um, with that fantastic Libra uh, stellium. So Mars, just touching base, Mars is our, um, I really experience Mars as like our boots on the ground for the soul's desires, right? Pluto and Mars have an incredible relationship, especially, you know, according to evolutionary astrology, whereas Pluto is, you know, the desires of the soul as they relate to the great cosmic order, as they relate to multi-incarnational relationship, blah, 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 karma, etc. Um, that is difficult to embody. That's not meant to be completely embodied, that's where Mars comes in. Pluto communicates to Mars. And depending on where your Pluto and Mars are in your chart and, you know, what kind of relationship they have, say they have a square, you know, they have a square uh, relationship, angular relationship. And that's going to be different than, you know, mine, it's you know, they're they're like 22 degrees apart, but they still occupy the same sign and they nearly occupy the same house. So this communication from like my soul self to the embodied soul, meaning that beating heart that just completely envelops us with vitality, 
the the experience of the viscera, the experience of the vitality, the ex- all these V words, the experience of the victor, um, the vigor, rather. That's that's very Aryan. I used to say Martian, but that <laughs> as an adjective form for Mars, <laughs> but it's Aryan, which is more problematic, I think, than Martian these days. But anyway, um, so this the Mars part of you is the part of you that just feels alive and knows how good it is to be alive and. Oh my God, it's almost like we get to experience the soul experiencing sensation, right? Just this like mind blown emoji of the soul like being in a body. And to me, that is the purest, most innocent form of Mars. And obviously, given, you know, humanity and choices and karma and, you know, density and suffering and things like that, as with every embodiment of planet, we're going to experience not just the purest form, the most innocent form, the the highest frequency form uh, of expression from these embodiments. We're going to experience them all. And so like, yes, the denser regions of Mars are abject immaturity and, um, a flailing of kind. It's just, you, you picture a toddler, you picture an infant and you know, if, if they're not getting their needs, needs met, all they do is scream, right? Until they shut down. And then that's really scary. But until then, all they do is scream and flail and and try to get the attention and try to get the attention and try to get the attention in order to get their needs met. And so honestly, being a parent myself in this lifetime has allowed me ample opportunity to, you know, reparent my Mars ruled son. You know, I'm an Aryan gal. I think I'm just going to stop saying that. Sorry. Um, I'm an Aries gal, <laughs> my, my Aries son. And, and um, so it's, that's the way that I choose to interpret Mars um, with a wink and with a bit of a tongue in cheek, because as somebody who, you know, is around two kids and has been for the past 11 years, 11 and a half years, I, I know, I know how it's going to go sometimes. And I know what the the frustration and the anger at not being understood and not being seen and being disappointed and not getting the, those things that you thought you needed. There's a lot of that in my experience, um, mostly because this Mars of mine in Libra, 12 degrees Libra, Libra it is sign-wise uh, directionally uh, oppositional to my Aries sun. Um, not exactly. There's like 11 or there's nine degrees there of buffer, but there definitely is an experience that I have of maturation through um, having the experience of not getting what I want or not getting what I think I want or thinking that I'm not getting what I want or 
why does this have to be so hard? Why do I have to spend so much energy with this? But because it's like oppositional, it's not necessarily a square, it's oppositional. So it's almost like there's an immediate rebound of like, oh, wait, this is that thing where I'm thinking that I'm not getting what I want, or I think that it's hard, but it's really not. Okay. Because these, the, with the working with the beauty of the polarity partnership, these signs, Aries and Libra, are not meant to hide from each other. They are meant to reflect off of each other and work with each other, okay? And and so there's no like there's no hiding in the shadows with this with the oppositional. It's almost it's like a whenever you feel so so pretend there is a wall in front of you and it's covered in mirrors. And, but your eyes are closed. Okay. So you're just walking, walking, walking. And suddenly you walk into a wall and you're like, that's a fucking wall. And now I can't walk straight anymore. And something got in my way and my nose hurts, etc. But because you, you walked into something, you open your eyes and you see you, you see what you need to see. Um, it's a reflective surface that it actually shows you what, you know, what you want to know. And yes, there's still like a barrier there, or there's that sensation of having a barrier, but that sensation of barrier is very, very informative. And there's a lot there. It's there for a reason. Okay. Um, so Mars is, you know, where Mars shows up in your chart, Um, It's going to tell you where you have these lessons and like this treasure hiding of how you can love yourself and how you can love the inner child part of you, how you can, you know, responding to the screaming baby in you, right? How this is where, and and this is kind of doubled down for me because I do have a fourth house Mars. Maybe you have a Mars in cancer, or maybe you have a Mars moon conjunction. Um, And there's just kind of that entanglement of inner child work and, oh yeah, more inner child work. Okay. And it's very kind of on the nose. Um, But even if you don't have like the Cancerian or the the fourth house or the the lunar uh, relationship with Mars, you're still anywhere where your Mars shows up and any sign that's going to be your flavor of um, when you feel limited, when you feel powerless, when you feel victimized, um, let's look at the, what the story is there. Let's look at what the narrative that that's there. Let's work with this so that we can transmute it so we, we can have that experience and maybe that experience gets transmuted into the, the, the polarity partner of powerlessness. And that is empowerment. It's self-empowerment. It is vitality. In the Gene Keys, I have a, um, what's called um, a, uh, a hologenetic profile and it's kind of like the body graph in human design or your natal chart in astrology. And there's, there's the hologenetic profile and it has like all of these, these themes and these centers. And one of them called your radiance is connected directly to your physical experience. And I, in each point on the hologenetic profile, 
is assigned a particular gene key. And this gene key that I have connected to my physical experience is there's there's an experience of... So there's three levels to um, transmutation and existence with the gene keys. And one of them is called the shadow which leads us to the gift, working with the gift, which allows us to transmute that shadow into the city, S-I-D-D-H-I. So it's just a, a, the shadow is most dense, the gift is less dense, and the Siddic or the city is least dense. Um, it's just, it's pure energy, okay? And vitality is the gift of this, this particular gene key, And this gift of vitality transmutes the shadow, which is dissatisfaction, into the Siddic state, which is bliss. So it goes shadow, dissatisfaction, gift, vitality, and bliss um, is the Siddic state. And this gift of vitality that is attached to this particular, you know, part of my chart, the part that is the expression, my physical expression. I have found in the last couple of months, it's very Mars, right? It feels very Mars to me. Whereas the dissatisfaction shadow is just like, you're constantly on the lookout for fixing things. You're fixing things. And I don't think this gene key relates astrologically to Mars, but this is just how I'm experiencing it. Um, And dissatisfaction is, it's like Mars just getting angry and frustrated and because it's not able to experience its fullest potential, its vitality. And so when we can be aware of when we are kind of reaching and scrambling because we have just this innate sense of dissatisfaction with the present moment, with who we are as we are in the present moment, as soon as we are able to bring awareness to that moment and to that experience, that gift is unlocked for us. And that is feeling the vitality, like true human potentiality vitality and, um, and feeling, and I'm meant to feel that physically. Like this is meant to my vitality is meant to be a part of my physical experience that, you know, eventually the more I can lean into this vitality, the more I can, you know, appreciate the present moment and everything that it brings me, that will transmute itself eventually, maybe in this incarnation, maybe not, into a state of bliss. Okay, that was a little rabbit trail. Sorry about that. I love the gene keys, and they sneak into my conversation. Um, okay, so that is that's my experience of Mars, um, and then we're going to move on to Jupiter. So I do have a. I mentioned this, I think, in the last episode. I do have a Mars retrograde. I have a Saturn. I was. I have a Saturn retrograde, I have a Pluto retrograde, and I also have a Jupiter retrograde. Okay. So I have Jupiter retrograde, nine degrees, um, Scorpio, that's what that glyph says, uh, in my fifth house. And so this is my, I have two points that are uh, in Scorpio, my Jupiter and my asteroid series is in uh, Scorpio. So Jupiter's like the main planetary embodiment um, in Scorpio. And so Jupiter, our experience of Jupiter, uh, Jupiter expresses the natural, the section of natural law that the natural principle that 
is expansion. Okay. So if you want to think about it in like a physics way, there is, we could call it like yin and yang, um, light and dark. A lot of cultures and a lot of modalities use different verbiage for these like very basic natural uh, occurrences and physical laws. And one is contraction, hello, Saturn, and one is expansion, hello, Jupiter. So whereas Saturn... Actually, never mind. I'm not going to use Saturn as an example because we're going to talk about Saturn in a second. Um, Jupiter is this law of expansion. So think about think about what I think Stephen Hawking was. He was one of the main um, powers behind powerful minds, rather behind um, what we're we kind of take for granted now that we live in an ever expanding universe. Um, and all that that implies. And so this is Jupiterian. This is Jovian, as we call it. Um, this is, I call it Jupiterian too, but this is Jupiter's playground is anything on the very basic, most fundamental level, just the understanding and working with the, and, you know, working with and aligning ourselves with this physical law of an ever expanding universe this is when we are working with our Jupiter. Now, bringing it down to the 3D and the day-to-day, we use words like abundance. We use uh, words like wisdom. And we use words like, uh, like exploration and curiosity and philosophy and academia, okay? So these are like the more dense, these are the denser regions of Jupiterian, Jovian themes, um, in as it expresses ourself it, itself in our chart, when we look to Jupiter, we're looking at fundamentally how this person experiences expansion, how this person has uh, access to greater wisdom. Uh, what what's the style and the flavor that this person is going to seek to form philosophies and fundamental truths in their life? Um, what is their relationship? to wealth? What is their relationship to uh, curiosity and exploration? And therefore, in denser regions, what's the relationship to travel? Um, Being a student, being a teacher, the spiritual realms, not necessarily in the Piscean way, spirit, like capital S spirit, but more in the building a worldview experience. So I've got this bitch in Scorpio. And that means that Anything that is mysterious and hidden and deep and, yes, dark and maybe some taboo and anything that leads me in the direction of answering my goddamn questions is this is fulfilling my Jupiter. And I say that in a salty way because that was my entire relationship to the schools of thought that were give, shown to me, presented to me in my upbringing. And personally, that was the Christian church and very, it, it was like 80s, 90s religious right. Okay. Um, very political, very Reagan, all of that. Um, and, and so I'm realizing as, as I have you know, done decades now of, of healing, um, 
from some of the harm that a lot of those philosophies and teachings had had enacted upon me. Um, I'm now at this point where I, I'm, I'm the most neutral that I've ever been with my relationship to uh, my religious upbringing. And it's expressing, that neutrality is expressing itself in that I just wasn't getting my questions answered. I just wasn't getting my curiosity uh, needs meant, met. And it honestly, when I think about it that way, and when I experience it that way, it takes all of like the pain out of it. It takes all of the judgment out of it, of my still internalized, you know, religious judgment of like, I know there is one, there's at least one tiny cell in my, my body. That's like, what if there is a hell? Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. That kind of thing. And, um, all of that programming. But when I, yeah, when I say it, like when people's journey within and around and between religions and philosophies and worldviews and ideologies and their relationship to all of, you know, the big why, that is the most deeply personal, uh, yet right now, most public thing, right, right at this very minute. Like, what do you believe? Can you think of a more nuanced experience than your belief systems or your beliefs rather? No, but we are living in a, a, a world right now that is just really trying to, it's struggling with nuance in any way. Okay. And, um, and I won't talk about the whys and the wherefores of that today, but as we embody our Jupiter, maybe a question that we can ask ourselves in this hyper polarized time that question is, how am I getting my needs met? What, what answers my questions? And it's not even like, oh, this, this answers my question, this, the, um, this line of thinking or this modality or this philosophy or this religion answers all of my questions. It's not about that. It's what is deeply satisfying my curiosity at this moment. And so as, you know, Jupiter has moved into Taurus, I'm experiencing a a Jupiter opposition. And this is just, I'm actually really interested in this, in this opposition that's going to come up because as I was just talking about, like the, the mechanics and the, the mechanism of the opposition relating to my Mars and sun, like that mirror, you think it's a barrier, but it's actually a reflective surface. Um, That's what's going to be happening. And that means that this whole Taurus Scorpio uh, dance that we've been experiencing with the nodes, I think I'm I'm just going to be getting a lot of those themes within this whole experience of like, what is expansion? What, what does it feel to maybe for the first time in my life, live in a body that's not contracted. What does that mean? Okay. Um, so this, but with the, the retrograde, the Jupiter, my Jupiter's retrograde, um, this is a deeply internal experience 
initially. doesn't mean it can't reflect itself back. You know, I can't experience my Jupiter themes out in the world. It just means first they have to happen inside and subjectively in my fifth house. Okay. So, um, one very, very dense expression of the fifth house is kids. I had kids. I had, it was, you know, my doctors didn't think that it was going to be as easy as it was for me to get pregnant both times because I had, you know, some pretty intensive health issues. Bing, done. Like within at least a month, or at the most a month, I was pregnant with both of my kids. I always knew that I wanted kids, not in my brain, but in my body. I just knew that, like, they were, I was, knew that they were going to happen. I was always kind of excited. And I, these, my experience of having kids is one of fundamentally me being able to be a happy and healthy child. Uh, Meaning these kids, this is all relating back to my fifth house, Jupiter. These kids are my are, are such a big part of my own expansion practice, okay? And honestly, none of us parents are conscious of that. M- not many of us parents are conscious of that right out the gate, okay? It has taken me, um, you know, a little under a decade to really grasp as much as I do now. And I know as long as I live, um, I'm going to be continuing to be to grasp more and more just how much of an expansion having these kids in my life has been. And I'm very attracted to schools. That sounded bad, but no, I'm very, (laughs) I love uh, being around kids. I love, um, I love whenever they, they come into my space. I love whenever they, I love going to my kids' school to volunteer there is something that is freeing and expansive and like just being in this hive of curiosity, like you can almost hear the the neural pathways just popping in these kids' heads of like, get, get the, the, this is the population, like the primary population that utilizes curiosity for their own living purposes, right? They run on curiosity. They run on curiosity free of judgment for the most part, especially with the youngins, right? The the real weans. They it's curiosity free of judgment and that is that's Jupiter's main bread and butter there. It's like we don't now Sagittarius and the like the the more human more dense regions of sagittarius it's nothing but judgment it's nothing but judgment and preaching um one of my teachers would always say with sagittarius and you know jupiter teach don't preach right jupiter's the teacher but damn if we can't like feel the preaching coming on uh mid midstream there um so yeah these kids they're that's a very dense fifth house example. Um, less dense. I've never not been a student of something. (laughs) I've I've never not been a student of something. Uh, when I was a kid in the summer months, I would, 
I would just, I, if I wasn't in a camp, I would go um, collect something in the nature and like bring it home and pour through the encyclopedia. And a lot of this also is my ninth house Mercury too. Um, so yeah, where does your, where does your Jupiter sit? Uh, what house is it in? What sign is it in? Degree mark? Uh, is it direct or is it uh, retrograde? So, and I don't have a whole lot of angular, um, angular relationships with my Jupiter in my chart. So I'm going to move on. Um, Saturn, I've talked a lot about as it pertains to um, the, the more challenging uh, lessons that I have learned in my life and because of where it sits uh, in my fourth house and because of the sign that it's in um, Libra and because it is square my nodes, um, those, those more challenging themes are just intensified, 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 and really centering around paternal and authority relationships. Okay. So your Saturn will tell you, um, how your relationship to authority, your relationship to that contraction or constriction principle, whereas Jupiter is expansion. Saturn is like, oh, well, that was only that expansion thing was only half the story. Here's what you can learn from this experience of contraction and compression and um, constriction. And I, I referred earlier in the episode, I referred to that ye old um, Saturn Venus experience that I had in early 2022. And I I got to the point where I was just describing it as a steamroller, right? Saturn, when you have um, the experience of Saturn in your natal chart is one of heaviness and yes, contraction, but honestly, it's, do you know why my, you know, guess, but more experience is that Saturn forces us to be here in this moment, right? Whereas Jupiter is, is being in the moment, but it's asking all the questions and it's looking at all the books and it's looking around, right? It's, it, it's attention is expansive, not always ex- external. Lord knows mine's not, it, mine is deeply internal, but it is expansive. That there's a, there's a, a polarity itch that gets scratched by the sensation of contraction, and by the sensation of bringing things in to the finest point. It's almost like how you, you see on like um, science shows or, or Instagram, if you follow like a lot of quantum science stuff, like the picture of studying the very cosmic things and, you know, the hugest thing, studying cosmology, that's the, I, arguably the study of like the biggest things ever, i.e. the universe and the forces that, that exist within the universe. And then studying quantum mechanics and quantum um, uh, uh, physics, thank you, uh, quantum physics is the study of the tiniest things that we yet that we have yet to discover and be able to arguably measure. And these it's like Jupiter is the experience of cosmology and Saturn is almost 
uh, the experience of studying, you know, being in the quantum, right? And yet, like you put, you put some of these pictures together, like these images of, you know, quantum and then cosmos, and they look so fucking similar, right? We are learning and they, they pair off each other. Like the more we learn about cosmology, the more information we have about quantum physics, the more we learn about quantum physics, the more we get to relate with cosmology. So this is kind of how I, it's better, it's better feeling for me to not pit Saturn against Jupiter and definitely like not make, you know, Saturn bad and Jupiter good, you know, or Saturn, Severus Snape, and Jupiter, Santa Claus. Um, oh, let's stay with the metaphor. Um, Dumbledore, okay? And so Saturn's experience is just as much, um, is just as generous, I should say, as Jupiter's. It just, it's a, a different teaching style, Okay, and it's one where we are meant to slow down. It's gonna they these the Saturn it slows us down. It pulls everything away that is extraneous. Jupiter loves excess in many ways. Saturn is like mm it's like Coco Chanel, you know. Before the, it's the edit, you know. Before you walk out of the house, take take. A, an accessory off or a piece of jewelry off. Make one edit before you go. And I don't necessarily, you know, subscribe to that personally, but it's that, that's kind of how Saturn works. It's like, let's bring this down a little bit more so that we can discover the beauty in what is, so that we can accept what is right now. And so that we can have this human experience of being with a clearer vision, a less cluttered vision. Okay. And so it's interesting because, you know, Saturn's called the sky daddy and the the patriarch and things like that. And, and in 3d language and in, you know, day to day life language, Saturn is the authority figure and Saturn is the, the, the adulting guy and the, the, um, the, also the one where we're, it's going to hold success. So think back to the Capricorn episode and the 10th house episode, and this is where we experience success. Okay. And how we have a relationship with success. And so it's like this, this pure interpretation, maybe, of Saturn, of, you know, just the unstoppable force of being in the moment and reminding us what this human life is. It is a, a, a very long or maybe a very short string of, of moments, you know, strung together like a necklace but it's present moment and present moment and present moment and present moment. And when we go through Saturn experiences and transits and when we embody more and more our Saturn in our chart, which you don't have to like go out and embody your Saturn, he will find you. Okay. It will always find you. (laughs) Um, I mean, maybe on things that like trying to find pleasure in the, you know, the structure and the paying the bills and getting, making sure the, the, the feeling good 
of, oh yeah, I do have car insurance. Oh yeah, my tags are up to date. That makes me feel good in, you know, our, our world would say not a very sexy way, but damn, I feel secure. Damn, I, there's less stress. So Saturn's placement in your chart, you want to look at the sign, you know, mine's in Libra. Um, I require a, a certain amount of structure and stability in my relationships. This can also be said, I bring a certain structure and stability to my relationships. We could also say it that my relationship with authority uh, and all of the growth and maturation that I'm going to be experiencing through this incarnation is mainly um, contained and to the, the context of relationship, okay? Folks with a Saturn in Pisces or folks with, um, happy Saturn return, by the way, uh, or folks with a Saturn in Capricorn are going to be experiencing these kind of adulting themes and different with different flavors and structures. Um, and we, yeah, we already talked about the aspects of, um, of Saturn, the main one being squaring the nodes. Okay. So then we've got the outer planets minus Pluto. We get to Uranus and Neptune, and both of these suckers are in Sagittarius in the sixth house. For me, uh, Uranus is my final retrograde planet. Neptune is direct. Uh, Uranus is going to be a four degrees Sag retrograde in my sixth house. Uranus is our planet of having the experience of, of evolution, but we could really call it revolution. So it's this, this force. If Saturn is the force of like authority, got to obey the rules. This is how I fit in consensus thinking, consensus thinking, consensus thinking. Then Uranus is going to be that which rebels against all that bullshit. Okay, because we again, just like the those polarity partnerships between the signs and also the expansive expansion principle with Jupiter, contraction principle with Saturn, um, everything grows on each other, right? Saturn, you know, there, for Jupiter's first between these three planets, Jupiter's first, and it's all about expansion. Saturn kind of introduces boundaries to the Jupiter so that it just doesn't lose itself. It doesn't like wheel itself out into oblivion. And then Uranus comes up to Saturn and it's like, okay, it's time to let go. You know, kicks it and shatters that the contraction principle where it has outlived its welcome, you know, it's outstayed its welcome. And so how that shows up in our life is, is our, this element within ourselves of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do it different. I'm going to do that different. And my Uranus being in Sagittarius, I just, I just talked a lot about, um, mindset and philosophy and, um, uh, religion versus spirituality and, uh, foundational principles, fundamentals, etc. And, this this Uranus in I have an interesting relationship to my Mercury in my ninth house. Hello, Sagittarius is natural uh, domain, and both of these like outer planets in Sag um, in the sixth house, and 
that is one of, excuse me, yeah, in Sag, in the sixth house. It's, there's always been this element of question asking. Um, and that, it like, I, it's almost like I have to have some drama with it. And it's that rebellion um, of Uranus in Sag of like, I kind of have to make this dramatic. I, I kind of have to blow shit up a little bit um, with my question asking. And now the rest of my chart has me coloring inside the lines and finding joy in that and making sure that relationships are as least dramatic as possible. Makes me physically ill to, to have drama in my relationship. Other people absolutely get off on it and they need it. But like this outer planet... Um, Uranus, my style, everybody has a thread of rebel in them and of revolutionary in them. And mine is based in um, the fundamentals of Sagittarius and where it shows up, has shown up in my life is whoo, my health. And this journey that I have, these two outer planets of Neptune and, and Uranus in my sixth house, um, all, all that I have so many health related and health-oriented, rather, themes in my life. And I, I consider I was a nurse for, for 10 years, and then I was in the wellness industry, uh, a, a direct practitioner within the wellness, wellness industry for another seven years, and I've lived with autoimmune disease um, for the last um, 14 years. 15 years almost. Um, so we have like from age 18, 19, 20 to age 41, we have that length of time of like direct, direct influence of healing modality or whether I am healing, you know, acting as utilizing healing modalities to help others, utilizing healing modalities to help myself. Um, or not, or just being in the experience of need, needing a healing modality, you know, just the aspect of needing, uh, being more aware of my health and just having it take up a lot of space on my radar. So Uranus is, it's really, <laughs> I blew up my nursing career. I had, as somebody who doesn't really like drama, I blew up my nursing career. I left with a middle finger. And um, at one point in my nursing career, very, very early on, I got fired from one job and, and really blew that up, almost blew it to oblivion, kept my license, did all the, the stuff that I needed to do. I was 21 years old. I was an idiot and made a mistake and made a judgment error and, and, you know, recouped and repaired and did everything I need to do. And, and then, you know, spent the last eight or so years of my career, um, kicking butt and taking names. But when it was time to go, I, I was like, fuck this. And I just left. And I, I not, I didn't just leave my job. I left the entire industry um, of nursing behind. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And, and it was from the Uranus shows up because it was from a place of discontentment 
with how the system was working. Like this system is not answering my questions. And and this was greatly informed that I was diagnosed with autoimmune diseases as a nurse and received little to no, little to zero medical information about why I have these diseases, how they interact with each other, how they work. And so I literally, I was like, that greatly informed my decision to be like, I am discontented with this. This is, this is not serving my needs anymore. And with the Uranus and then like with the Neptune and Sag, it's like, I, I, it's hard. There's not a great barrier between serving my needs and serving the needs of the collective. Like anything that I'm experiencing, this doesn't serve my needs. I honestly don't experience it initially as my needs. I experienced the complaint initially as this sucks and it's not helping anybody. This just sucks because it's not helping anybody. You say you're going to help somebody. You say you're here to help and you are of no service. And it's just, I feel it in a very Aquarian way. Okay. Like the needs of the community are my needs, that kind of thing. And so with, with that, the Sagittarius part, you know, it just is there. And it just, I study it myself. I take classes. I go find, I go find the wise ones. I go find, you know, the doctors who do know something. I go find the, I do acupuncture for the very first time. And then I'm initiated into my next, I guess, spiritual awakening. And that's where the Neptune in Sag also in the sixth house comes in. It's this, my experience of spirit, um, in the most authentic way to me, because up until that point, it wasn't authentic to me. It was somebody else's idea of spirit or experience of spirit. And I'm just like, what am I missing? This isn't feeding me. This isn't nourishing me. I don't feel connected here. But through the experience of having the health crises and asking all the questions and, and taking it into my own hands, not like bootstraps, like fuck the the medical system only do natural thing. No, no, I, there's room enough for everything in my opinion. And also in my experience, in my actual somatic experience, there is room enough for everything. There's not anything that is wasted. Um, but the, the having the experience, like having the, the planet's, in these signs, in this, this house of mine, the sixth house, it's like, you're going to, you're going to reach the, the ultimate source of spirit and the ultimate source of connection through the experience of your own healing work through the experience of yes, your own illnesses and perhaps your own experiences of limitation Um, so yes, that, I believe that is it. Let me make sure that there are no, um, yeah, 27. Oh, okay. Here we go. Uh, last thing about Neptune, Neptune's 27 degrees, uh, Sag in the sixth house. My moon is 25 degrees, um, Pisces in the 10th house. So there's a mutable square there and, and if, (laughs) If any um, long-term like astrologers are out there and it's like you have a sixth house uh, placement 
and then squaring off another placement who happens to be in Pisces. Yeah, of course that's going to be illness. Of course that's going to be an experience. And then it's my moon in Pisces. It's just this deep, um, this thread of being able to have greater and greater access to myself and to spirit. Hello, this is Neptune and Sag that we're talking about. And then Pisces is my moon sign. Neptune rules Pisces. Um, these experiences of illnesses and they can, be, they can start off, they definitely started off as, as like chemical and hormonal and tissue and organs and endocrine function. And that has, the more that I kind of be with them and dance with them and be in relationship with this part of my life, the closer and closer and closer I get to all that is. Capital A, all. Capital T, that. Capital I, is. And here, and it's a square, right? Nobody likes squares. Nobody enjoys squares. But damn if they don't work for us. They work so hard for us um, to just have the juiciest life possible. And in light of that, I am going to end this dive, this very long dive, my God, guys, um, into my chart. Thank you so much for coming along for the ride. Um, I do hope that, that this information and this material, all of it, (laughs) as much, or excuse me, as much as it's been, um, that this information and material has given you something to internalize and given you something to be curious about and given you something to find value in, in your own chart. So please take this, um, take this rambling path of, of a, of a natal chart interpretation and just go nuts with your own beautiful chart and your own beauty and all that you have been given to experience this incredible life. And let me know if you have any questions. Let me know what feedback you have. I would love to, I love being in community, community with you all. And um, I'd love to, for you to share. So in uh, episodes to come, not necessarily next week, but in episodes to come, I'm going to be having guests on and we're going to be journeying through their charts as well. And sometimes the episode is going to be kind of like this one where we do like an actual natal chart reading. Sometimes the episode is going to be, I, I love like, what's a thing in your chart that really bugs the shit out of you? And, and let's talk about it. And let's kind of extrapolate that. Or what is something that you're incredibly proud of in your chart? Um, And really just personalize and feel again and again this embodiment work that we're all doing. Um, So yeah, look for that or listen for that in the very near future. Love you guys. Thanks for being here. So that's it for this episode of Astrology and Stuff. You can come back each Wednesday for new episodes, and you also have a way to get weekly bonus episodes on my Patreon page. Just search Astrology and Stuff Podcast. Bonus episodes are weekly peeks into the planetary transits where we can get into the astrology of the week and how that may be affecting you in your neck of the woods. 
Each episode of Astrology and Stuff is written, recorded, edited, and mixed by me, Sampriti Ireland. The music you hear is an original work by Angel Wing. And again, thank you for being here.